John chapter 20, verse 24, through chapter 21, verse 14, verses 24 and 25. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the prints of the nails, and put my fingers into the prints of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Burkett notes, What the cause of Thomas's absence was is not declared. It's evident that he was not with the rest of the disciples when Christ appeared to them, and his absence had liked to cost him dear, even the loss of his faith, and he might have had cause forever to have bewailed his absence from that meeting of the disciples, had not Christ been more merciful. Learn hence that the letting slip of one holy opportunity may prove exceedingly prejudicial to the soul's advantage. It is wise and safe to lay hold upon every opportunity for enjoying communion with God and fellowship with his saints. Thomas's absence deprived him not only of the good news which Mary brought of Christ's being risen, but also of the sight of him, which the other disciples got by assembling together. And for want thereof, Thomas is left under many doubts and fears. Verily, we know not what we lose when we absent ourselves from the assembly of God's people. Such views of a crucified, raised Jesus may be communicated to others whilst we're absent, and would have confirmed our faith and established our joy had we been present. Observe farther what a strange declaration Thomas makes of his obstinate unbelief. Except I see the print of the nails and put my fingers into his side, I will not believe. Where note how strangely rooted unbelief is in the hearts of holy men insomuch that they desire the objects of their faith should fall under the view of their senses. Thomas carries his faith at his finger's end. He will believe no more than he can see or feel. Whereas faith is the evidence of things not seen. O oh, Thomas, how deplorable had been thy case if Christ had never given thee that proof which was very unreasonable for thee to expect. But Christ takes compassion on him and appears to him and cures his obstinate unbelief which he might have justly punished, as appears by the following verses. Verses 26 and 27. And after eight days, again the disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. Perquet notes, Observe here, 1. Our Savior's appearing again to his disciples after his resurrection. It was eight days after he first arose, which was the first day of the week. Here note, that Christ's rising the first day of the week and appearing on the first day of the week after to the disciples, and the observing of that day for their solemn assemblies, and St. Paul's administering on that day the Lord's Supper, Acts, 20, and commanding on that day collections for the poor, 1 Corinthians 16, and St. John's calling it the Lord's Day, Revelation 1.10. From these authorities and the primitive practice, we derive our Christian Sabbath, for we do not find in all the scripture one instance of any congregation of Christians only assembling upon the Jewish Sabbath, but on the first day of the week, on which we ground our observations of that day. 
observed, too, the wonderful condescension of Christ to the weakness of Thomas's faith. He bids him reach forth his hand and thrust it into his side. Not that Christ was pleased with, but only pitiful towards Thomas's infirmities. And it ought to be no encouragement to any person to follow his example in seeking or expecting the like signs of their own prescribing for helping of their faith. Observe 3. How mercifully Christ overruled Thomas's unbelief for the confirmation of our faith. His doubting proved a means for establishing his own and our faith. Therefore, says Gregory well, had not Thomas doubted, we had not been so fully assured that it was the same Christ which was crucified who rose again. Verse 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Burkett notes, these words may be considered two ways. One, as an abrupt speech, importing a vehement admiration of Christ's mercy towards him and of his own stupidity and dullness to believe. Learn hence that the convincing condescension of Christ turns unbelief into a rapture of holy admiration and humble adoration. Two, this expression of Thomas, my Lord and my God, contains a short but absolute confession of faith. Thomas rightly collects from this resurrection that he was Lord. God blessed forevermore the true Messiah, the expected Redeemer, and accordingly, with an explicit faith, he now professes his interest in him, saying, My Lord and my God. Yet note that this resurrection could not make him God and render him then the object of divine worship, if he had been only a creature before. And farther observe that Christ did not reprove Thomas for owning him as God, which shows that Thomas did not mistake in owning the divinity of Christ. Verse 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Burkett notes, here we have Christ's reprehension of Thomas for not believing without such sensible evidence as he desired. He believed now that Christ was risen from the dead, but it was upon the testimony of his senses only. Therefore, Christ tells him that his faith would have been more excellent and more eminently rewardable if he had believed without such demonstrative evidence. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Therefore, to give credit to a thing upon the evidence of a sense is not properly believing. Observe farther how Christ pronounces them blessed, who should hereafter believe on him through the preaching of the gospel, though they did not see him as Thomas did, nor handle him as he might. This is a sure rule, that by how much our faith stands in less need of external evidence of sense, the stronger our faith is, and the more acceptable it is, provided what we believe be revealed in the word of God. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Verses 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written of in this book. But these are written of, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Burkett notes, observe here, one, the true end for which the miracles of Christ were so carefully recorded, namely, that we might believe. By believing that Christ is the Son of God, we have life, and by the evidence of his miracles, we know and believe him to have been the Son of God. The miracles which Christ wrought were the best external evidence of his mission. Observe, too, that all Christ's miracles, 
both before his passion and after his resurrection, were not recorded by the evangelists. Observe 3. The great point concerning Christ to be known and believed from the scriptures is this, that Jesus, the Son of the Virgin, is the promised Messiah, the Anointed of the Father, He in whom all types and shadows of the law are accomplished, and that this Jesus is for nature co-essential, for dignity co-equal, and for duration co-eternal with the Father, one in essence, equal in power and glory. Thus believing that Jesus is the Son of God and accompanying that belief with a holy life, if we believe well and live well, we shall have life through his name. Chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. Burkett notes, The foregoing chapter acquainted us with several appearances of Christ to his disciples after his resurrection, all which were in Jerusalem. This chapter acquaints us with his appearing to his disciples in Galilee, whither he had ordered his disciples to go, promising there to meet them. Jerusalem now becomes a forsaken place, a people abandoned to destruction. Christ will not show himself openly to them, but Galilee was the place where Christ's ministry had found better acceptance. To Galilee, therefore, doth he go. Such places wherein Christ is most welcome to preach shall be most honored with his presence. Jesus showed himself to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, called elsewhere the Sea of Galilee. Verses 2 and 3. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Canaan in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Burkett notes, Observe here that after Christ was crucified, the disciples returned for a time to their trade and employment of fishing. Though they were called to be the fishers of men, yet churches not being gathered and constituted at present, nor being able to maintain them, they labor with their hands to supply their present necessities. Afterwards, when at the Feast of the Pentecost they had received the visible gifts of the Holy Ghost, which did furnish them for preaching the gospel to all nations, and they went forth to plant and propagate the gospel, we may believe they then gave over the labor of their secular callings and applied themselves wholly to the work of the ministry. That may be done in a church which is constituting or about to be constituted. Observe farther how Peter, with the rest, toil all night and catch nothing. But no sooner is Christ come among them, but they enclose a multitude of fishes, thereby teaching us that all human labors and endeavors are in vain, unless Christ, by his presence and blessing, crown them with success. Verses 4 through 6. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast thy net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, Christ was near, very near to his disciples, but they perceived it not. Jesus stood on the shore, but they knew not that it was Jesus. Learn, Christ is not always discerned by us when he is present with us. 
it's a double mercy to enjoy his company and to know indeed that it is he. Observe, too, although they had labored all the night in vain, yet at Christ's command they go to work again, and with great success. They were not able to draw the net for the multitude of fishes. When Christ is about to do great things for his people, yet will he have them exert all possible endeavors of their own, and the want of former success must not discourage from future endeavors. Observe 3. What a proof Christ here gives of his divinity and Godhead. How were all the fish in the sea at his pleasure and obedient to his command? He knew where they swam, and brings them from one part of the lake to the other, where the disciples had toiled all night and caught nothing. Christ as mediator is true God, and as such he had a sovereign power and providence over all the creatures, the cattle on a thousand hills, and all the fish swimming in the sea are obedient to his power and observant of his commands. Verses 7 through 9. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher coat unto him, for he was naked, and cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with the fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid there, and bread. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, the great zeal and forwardness of Peter. Hearing that it was Christ, he leaps into the sea to get to him. Oh, how inviting, attractive, and alluring is the sight of Christ. It will make those that know him break through all difficulties to come unto him. It is not a sea of water, no, nor a sea of blood that can keep a zealous soul at a distance from Christ. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his coat and cast himself into the sea. Observe, too, what a complication of miracles were here. As soon as they came to land, they discerned another miracle, viz. a fire of coals and fish laid on, and bread, all created and produced by Christ out of nothing at this time, as an evidence of his divine power. For before they could get the fish to shore, they saw fish broiling upon coals, which makes it evident that these were none of the fish which they had catched. Christ, when he pleases, for the benefit and comfort of his people, will work miracle upon miracle, mercy upon mercy, one wonder upon the head of another. For here, after a miracle at sea, they meet with another miracle at land. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire. Verses 10 and 11. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, and a hundred and fifty and three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Burkett notes, Observe here, 1. What was Christ's end in commanding his disciples to bring forth the fish which they had now taken? namely that the sight of their number and bigness, together with the sight of the net remaining unbroken, might confirm them in the belief of its being a real miracle. Christ had fed their bellies before. His business now is to feed their minds with the contemplation of the greatness and reality of the miracle. All Christ's miracles were obvious to sense and would bear the examination of the senses, not like the lying wonders of the Church of Rome, which are commonly wrought in the dark to cousin the vulgar, and are merely cheats and impostures. Observe, too, that this draft of fishes, which Peter and the rest of the disciples now had, 
might probably presage that great and wonderful success which he and they were afterwards to have in fishing for men. Here we have a 153 great fishes caught at one draft. But, Acts 2, we find 3,000 souls converted by St. Peter at one sermon. Oh, the marvelous success of the gospel at the first preaching and planting of it. 3,000 then proselytized by one sermon. Now we have cause to fear that there are 3,000 sermons preached and scarce one soul savingly converted. Lord, who hath believed our report? Verses 12 through 14. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples, after that he was risen from the dead. Burkett notes, A twofold reason may be assigned why Christ did at this time invite and call his disciples to dine with him. The first and more principal reason was to evidence to them the reality of his resurrection, and to assure them of the truth of his manhood, that they might not think it was an apparition only. By the miracle and catching the fishes, he proved himself to be God. By his present eating of the fish, he evidenced himself to be man, and consequently teaches us that our exalted high priest continues our kinsman in heaven. He is still bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. He has taken possession of heaven in our nature, sitting there in our glorified humanity, united to the glorious deity, clothed with that body which hung in its blood and gore upon the cross, but now shining brighter than ten thousand suns. The second and less principal reason why Christ called his disciples to dine with him was this, to show his tender care over the bodies of his dear disciples, as being the tabernacle of his own spirit, the temples of the Holy Ghost. Therefore Christ encourages, though not to the pampering, yet to the refreshing of them. Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And he would not confer with them till they had dined, as the next verse shows. Verses 15 through 16. 